Hello, hello, hello. I am your B. Smith, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to... Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. goosebumps. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm your hostess with the mostest, Munoz. And how are y'all doing? Can you believe it's September 1st already? I mean, where did the time go, y'all? Summer is winding down, but people are still acting a fool. I just saw a, a police car chase up 9th Avenue in the wrong direction. People are doing the most these days. People have been stuck inside for too long, is my assessment of that. And I hope they caught that man and everyone is safe in that respect. Oh my God, it is part two of my interview with Michael Twitty. Welcome. I hope you're as excited as I am. But before we get to the getting on, as always, in the grand tradition of In Yo Mouth, I need to wish y'all out there, happy National Gyro Day or Gyro Day. Oh my God. There is nothing like a good Gyro. I mean, growing up in Bay Ridge, there's a place called Placa Taverna on the corner of 86th Street and 4th Avenue. It's been there for a million years. They have the most delicious gyros ever. If you're ever in Brooklyn, please go visit them because it is no joke, y'all. Just like the lamb meat is like juicy and moist. I know people out there hate the word moist, but it's so juicy and moist. And sometimes I have them put like a little hummus on the pita before they throw all this stuff in. Oh, I'm starving, Jesus. Oh, well, no matter what you celebrate out there, I know I'm here for National Gyro Day, and I hope you are too. And if you're a vegetarian, you know what? A vegetable gyro with some like hummus and maybe a little feta, that kind of sounds delish, you know? I, I, I'm sure somebody out there makes a good vegan vegetarian version, you know, like impossible lamb meat or something. I'm here for it. Go out and celebrate with, uh, and you know what? 
Send me your pictures of your euros. Why not? And moving right along to this day in gay history. Did you all know out there that 1979, New Jersey de- decriminalizes private consensual homosexual acts? Oh, my God. 1979 to 89, 99, 2009. That's like 40 years ago. 40, 41 years ago. I mean, that's as old, almost as old as I am. I mean... You know, that's crazy. That is crazy that we weren't allowed to get it on in the state of New Jersey. Oh, my God, folks. Oh, my God. The world is crazy. The world, you know what? I I don't even want to get into it because I'm going to fall down a hole of, like, why are people nuts? Why is the world a mess? And I don't really feel like doing that today because this conversation with Michael Twitty was so special. And I hope you're as excited as I am for part two. We left off in the last episode talking about uh, what Michael envisions gay food being, what how Michael defines what gay food is. And I want to pick it up right there because the last of this conversation, y'all, I don't think you're ready for. And so without further ado... Please help me welcome back the one, the only, Michael Twitty. I really wanted to ask you, because we're on the subject of, like, queer food, gay food, the queerness in food. You know, through your travels and through your, like, you know, explorations and, you know, archaeological food quests, uh, if I may call them that, do you find or have you found traces of us, um... Or remnants of the queer ancestors? Or does that come up through your food tracing and and what you do? Like, ha- has that, like, popped out at you anywhere? Absolutely. Uh, there are, you know, um, and the thing about it that makes this very difficult is that I would have to spend 20, 30 years um, just digging out one of those areas because... As you as you know, like when you're intersectional, when you have they have a busy intersection of identities, it's really hard to like parse out a a narrative that's like linear, that's unbroken for people that are marginalized, right? Especially us, you know. But you know, seeing ads, runaway ads from the South that talk about um, my my runaway, my so and so, such and such. Um, well, pro- is probably wearing a dress and affects the manners of a woman, is an excellent cook and an incredible seamstress. And there's not one of these. There's a good handful of these. This wasn't a singular occurrence. This, I mean, if you can imagine, like I tell people, oh, yeah, there were lesbian couples that ran away from slavery together and made it to North and became abolitionists. I mean, can you imagine that damn movie? Yeah. You know, there were there are non-binary um, uh, women, young, not women, just women, but young women who were who joined the Union Army and the colored troops and pretended to be young men. And I mean, fighting men, not just drum, drummer boys who, who, you know, basically black Joan of Arcs. There were there one of my best, one of my favorite things is Gilberto Freire. He writes in his book about Brazilian history, he talks about how the, the, the influence of black people in the kitchen, but he says that nobody cooked better than the homosexual. And he talks about these black gay men in the kitchen in the 17 and 1800s and goes into this deep description and talks about how this is one of the greater culinary legacies of Afro-Brazilian culture in these big houses with these black gay cooks. And I just, I read this with my jaw dropped open. 
because I was just like, between that and the obvious evidence of these male cooks that were on these plantations, and also in the cities as free people of color, people, when everybody was enslaved, it just, it just said to me, in, from Cuba to Brazil to Haiti to Jamaica to the United States and beyond, there was an entire history of Black queer people carving out a space. And I want to make this very clear before we change over. Kitchens were not, were, were a space of negotiated power um, a lot of time. They weren't, they wasn't just like, you know, the enslaved person was kowtowing and bowing and kissing the person's feet. A lot of white people, when they wrote about the, the politics of the kitchen in slavery and in also in antebellum times, if we're free people of color, they talk about the black person as like a general, as a marshal, as somebody who actually held the power in the space. And I think that's incredible. So this is, when I wanna, this is where I want to stop with this. Um, one of my favorite narratives is Rosalie Steer-Calvert, and she was um, the Belgian-born and raised um, wife of one of the um, Calverts, a very powerful family of family in Maryland. And she had a plant. She inherited a plantation in uh, what's now Prince George's County, outside of Washington D.C., tobacco plantation. And she writes to her sister and complains about Robert the cook. Now, you and I both know who Robert is because this is what she says. I would like to sell Robert. So she she really wants to do him in and sell him to like Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, some place like that. But she and she said because when I entered the kitchen, and I've actually been in that kitchen space, Michael. She she says. He sucks his teeth and turns his head and rolls his eyes as if they were going to fall out of his head. Well, we know who the hell Robert is, don't we? We know that Robert is the big old queen. Robert ain't got no wife. Robert's looking like, mm, what you want? Ro- Ro- Robert was giving her a run for her money. And taking, right? <laughs> taking no lip or attitude. No lip, nothing from you. But here's the thing she says. She says, but I cannot sell him because his food is so good. You know, we have to we have to ask new questions about power. And 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 remember what uh, Miss Raj says in um, the Colored Museum, that last line of Miss Raj, the gay character in um, the, the, the Colored Museum by George C. Wolf is that's power, baby. Snap on that. Yes. Mm hmm. That's yes. what we got. Yes. Oh, my God. You know what? In your mouth, listeners, when I met Michael for drinks, he took me down a serious road of all sorts of conversations that I did not expect. And it was a beautiful kiki. And I guess today was my turn to do that to him in return in the most beautiful way. (laughs) Um, And I am absolutely okay with it because I am living for every last moment. But I think... We all are going to live for one Michael Twitty and this version of my favorite part and your favorite part of the podcast. Michael, it's a little something we like to call Food News Update. Food News. Ooh, honey, you ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. Bring it. Nabisco bakers are on strike, possibly slowing down our supply of Oreos and Ritz. Oh, so no more crackers. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I, the, I, I don't know. You know what? I think that during the, during the years of 45, we saw a lot of Oreos, a lot of crackers, so I'm cool. Oh. 
Oh my God. So um, this is not the first food strike we've seen post and during the pandemic. Last month, workers at the Frito-Lay plant in Topeka, Kansas, went on strike for better pay and hours. Not long after, truck drivers at the Pepsi bottling plant in Munster, Indiana, also walked off the job. Uh, primarily over health care costs. And now Nabisco, another staple of grocery shelves, is dealing with its own strike. Thank you to Food and Wine News. So last week, over 200 workers at the Nabisco factory in Portland, Oregon, where popular products like Oreos and Ritz are produced, not to mention like Chips Ahoy and other things, um, went on strike to keep, basically to keep their jobs. The paper... Uh, The Willamette Week states that the workers at Nabisco's Richmond, Virginia bakery, as well as Colorado Call Center, have now also joined the strike. One major point of contention is reportedly the plan to remove overtime and weekday pay and instead opt for a 48-hour work week. Mm. So basically what it comes down to is this parent company is trying to instill, like, these this like new work system but but it means longer hours and no overtime or like or or whatever they call it pay as opposed to and these workers went on strike they're not fighting for anything more they're fighting to keep their jobs because what is being offered is the the leader of the union is like is not worth fighting for uh, i've had it i've literally had it if i've had it with the way like the people on top don't want for anything and they're not willing to do the basic work that it takes to mean help other people have a decent life. Exactly. One of the workers was reported as saying like, I worked five weeks in a row, no break. But at the end of the day, I could do that and have this overtime pay and like get paid out for it and compensated, you know? As opposed to what they're offering now, which is going to put me at longer hours and less money. So here's the deal. Like, okay, so I think we need to start pushing back because all these forces are related. And we need to make this make this comment. Y'all want 1950s America, right? What what do they mean by that? They mean (laughs) white men that aren't depressed because the world's falling apart, who can afford to maintain, send, send two children to college at least, have their wife at home not working, and can afford two vacations a year, and Christmas presents, because, you know, we were never Jewish. Um, and, like, they have that world. Well, okay, so what you're doing is you're asking the present generation of Americans to not want X, Y, and Z, because that's, quote-unquote, socialism. But you don't want people in the food industry, in the fields, in the restaurants, in the factories having a decent life because you want to keep five more bucks in your pocket. And that would actually, if it was distributed, would mean that, you know, they could they could work at your damn plant and do what they need to do. And what, it, what gets me, Michael, is that it's, it's a big it's a big grift. It's a big joke to say to us, don't you want this traditional way of life that only was good for a small part of the population? But don't you want these benefits of it? But at the same time, let me make it totally impossible to ever have a world where, you know, if you want to go to want to go to college, you can. If you want to have a one income household, which, you know, whatever about that, you can. They they don't want to create that world. And when I hear these people talk about like, you know, when you're giving this, you know, newsflash about folks who just want to, you know, have that overtime so they can afford something decent. They can they can, you know, pay for that repair. Yeah. 
It's nah. While nah, still working their that. asses off. While, While still, still working, working their asses off. <laughs> they're not asking not they're not asking to do less. They're just asking for anything that's not normal. Do you know, Michael, I got in the mail last week um another uh letter from a lawyer, right? From a uh a different class action lawsuit uh, against another catering company here in the city that I've worked for. This is probably maybe wow. the eighth I've been in my 22, 23 year uh, hospitality career. And I was, I posted and you may have seen it. I was like, how hard is it not to steal tips and wages from the people who already aren't working, who already aren't making that much money and are working the, to the bone for you? Oh, Lord. You know, I didn't know that was a thing until I saw that scary episode of, like... We didn't remember that show with Gordon Ramsay went to some, like, crazy lady's place in Arizona, and her husband was taking the tips at the table. Oh, yes, I saw that. That was, like, the, at the beginning of when he was doing that show. I remember that episode. And I was like, you did what now? You did, Okay, what, you still have hands? Yeah, no, ma'am. You got fingers? Listen, well, no matter what what is happening right now, I think you and I stand... With these Nabisco strike workers, right? Power to the people. We are here for you. Let it be known. Go out there and show your support for these people. Just trying to keep their jobs for crying out right. loud. They're trying to bring you to your Oreos and your crackers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and can we get our Chips Ahoy, please? Can we? Chips Ahoy? Chips Ahoy? Listen. I thought I liked you. Mm. No, listen, moving right along to <laughs> there is a fear... <laughs> There is a beer. We got to move along <laughs> here. Uh-oh. Listen, there is a beer that was brewed to pair perfectly with mayonnaise, Michael Twitty. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Where was Was this from Indiana? Where was Iowa? What's going on? Kansas? Yet another gem from Food and Wine News. Thank you. Listen, folks. A mayonnaise brand and a brewery have collaborated to create the ultimate beer for pairing with mayo, which sounds uh, like it'd be great for either elevating your mayonnaise experience or washing the sauce off your tongue. South Carolina-based Duke's Mayonnaise teamed up with Virginia. No, teamed up with Dukes. Virginia. Virginia, that's your that's your home, honey. Virginia's champion brewery <laughs> company to tackle a simple question: Can we create the perfect beer to pair with Duke's mayonnaise? Specifically, a Duke slathered BLT. Well, they did exactly that. All right, and this beer, the result was uh, the results are a beer called Family Recipe, named after Duke's origins, a 5.1 percent ABV Vienna style lager made with Vienna malt and Magnum and Saz hops for a bit of bitterness. What? Uh, y'all can no. hear Michael just rubbing his temple. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't, y'all, I can't. Like, really? This, this is the next generation of Southern food innovation to take Duke's Mayonnaise, a company which I respect, because as you well know, Michael, there are only two acceptable answers. For most people, one, but two is probably a better bet. Southern families will only buy Duke's or Hellman's. Mm-hmm. And the difference between Dukes is that Dukes has no sugar, but there's a good reason for that. Because once we get our hands on some ish, we're going to add sugar to it anyway. So you might as well start off with no sugar so that when you put the cup of sugar in, it makes total sense. So I'm just, I'm just, wow. Um, okay. Are you a beer person? Do you like beer? I totally am not. It's, and again, it goes back to that thing where, like, 
we just weren't allowed. And actually, you know what? It's deeper than that. My mother, blessed memory, and by the way, um, upon taping, it, it's it's her birthday. Um, oh. I wish my mama a happy birthday in heaven. Shout and, out um, to you, mama in heaven, mama Twitter. I say, oh, I say, oh, uh, mama Townsend. Mama Townsend. She didn't take daddy's Forgive name. Me. Forgive me. No worries, no worries. But like, my mother did something really cool and innovative when I was little. When I was like three or four, my mother goes, come here, drink this. And it's beer. And I go, oh, yeah, I can have beer. I'm cool. It was so nasty <laughs> to my palate that I never drank beer ever again. Oh, my God. That's now, so one big mistake. Yes. <laughs> Delicious. Listen, I know you and I You and I drank all the things that night. At oh, the all Grand. the things, but we didn't drink no damn beer. No, and, not, and especially uh, not some beer to, to pair with your Duke's mayonnaise, right? Listen, shit. I think you and I are here for some Duke's mayonnaise. Shout out to you, Duke's mayonnaise. And I don't know if you know Grossy Pelosi, but he's all August long. It's been Duke's mayonnaise toast and tomatoes, right? I, I'm having, heard that. I'm having all the cravings for that. But I don't this beer maybe if they send it to us i don't know maybe you know what we'll give it to your husband and <laughs> he don't drink beer either <laughs> although although i'm down for using beer in a culinary context in terms of bread yeah. in terms uh, of of boils yeah. in terms of all that kind of good stuff that we use bread beer for so I'm down with that. But the mayonnaise parent, mm, girl, bye. Listen, listen, listen. And moving right along, <laughs> there is a Monopoly-themed restaurant that just opened in London. Oh, can I pay in the Monopoly money? Because that'd be cool. That would be cool. But no, it's the... So once again, thanks to Food & Wine magazine, you know, there's um, almost... 85 years after the Waddington London's board made its debut, a.k.a. Monopoly, there's now a Monopoly-themed bar and restaurant in the capital city, uh, complete with an adjacent 4D, completely immersive version of the game. According to Big Hospitality, the bright red boots in the bar were inspired by the color of the game's hotels, and the other seating options have been uh, upholstered with reclaimed fabrics from trains on the Piccadilly and Northern Underground Lines. Okay. Because, yeah, it looks really, really cute, you know? The Top Hat's menu focuses on quintessentially British small plates, which include petite versions of pub classics like rump steak with parsnip mash and a mini Yorkshire pudding. Y Valley lamb and miniature fish and chips. You know what? Okay, let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> we need to have a restaurant called Castro, the survival series. Um, <laughs> and I ain't talking about the dude, I'm talking about the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> wow. That's all they got to offer is like, like pub food. Really? It's pub food. And it, it was created. Where's the line that says, right, you can ask for a deck of Monopoly deal cards. You can take a chance on an option for like a random cocktail. You know, players will have to compete in an escape room style challenges in order to buy properties on like the life size game. And it was like in cele- it was created in celebration of like coming out of the pandemic as something like fun to make people excited to go out again. So I could be here for that, you know? You know what? Okay, all this is great and good, but Michael Twitty does not do escape rooms. That is too much like my history. Hell no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I ain't trying to... Look, I ain't trying to be y'all's gay um, Harriet Michael Tubman. Twitty, get off my podcast. Don't forget, don't forget Kyle. Mm-mm. Escape no, room my God. ass. I usually only do three of these, but this was too good to pass by. And last but not least, 
Michael Twitty. Mariah Carey is launching oh. a line. A line of Irish cream. God, you know what? I'm going to leave it the hell alone. Uh-huh. All I want for Christmas is you. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. This is from The Cut. Thank you to The Cut. And whoever wrote this is hysterical. Rather than an always-be-my-Bordeaux or a diamond-encrusted bottle of champagne, Carrie has come out with a line of Irish cream liqueurs, a bewildering and unexpected choice. It's dubbed Black Irish, an homage to her Black, Venezuelan, and Irish heritage. And it comes in three flavors, original white chocolate and salted caramel. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's like a DNA test in a liquor bottle. Bye. <laughs> nope. So that, the last one really got me, the salted caramel. Mm. As a cinnamon boy myself, you know. I don't qualify for milk, chocolate, and mocha, but, you know. Wait, I just really want to know how it relates to her black, Venezuelan, and Irish heritage. I want to know what the Venezuelan part is, because I, I kind of get the I kind of get the, the other parts. I the original, the white chocolate and salted caramel, I don't, uh, are they like one for one here? Because, you know, Venezuela don't scream white chocolate to me. No, <laughs> none of it. <laughs> none of it. Like the <laughs> island right across... That like that like that like that province in Canada. None of it. <laughs> nope. No, ma'am. I know geography. I don't, I don't know if we're here for this, but I sure as hell would taste some if if the queen herself sent me some. <laughs> I, I I would only drink it if she was she was brought to me in an office chair, held up by several hunks. Bearing a tray. That's it. Bearing a tray of that and a side of lactose digestives. And with that, I think that's the best way to end food news update. Michael Munoz, <laughs> um, I was totally ready for you to be like, there's a beer pairing with the Chips Ahoy. And I was going to just hang up. It's done. <laughs> it's done. They've done like Fruity Pebbles beer. Um, really? Yes, they've done uh, for Pride. Some brewing company did like an edible glitter beer. No, they poisoned y'all. Yes, they did poison y'all. Like (laughs) you know, no one should be eating that much edible glitter. (laughs) Unless unless you're like simply neological, you have no excuse. No, no, no. Even though my Snapchat name is Sparkly Poops. Oh my god. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. Excuse me, excuse me. We have to go back to something. I'm sorry. Rewind. Take me wherever you want. What? What? So, what's up with the with the um, Irish cream to honor her little children with um, Nick Cannon? Mm. Oh, yeah. Where is that? Oh my God, that Nick Cannon. Can we talk about it for a minute? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> you know what? That band needs to come out of the closet and then maybe oh. slide up, slide up into my DMs. Oh, oh. Uh, all right. <laughs> Call me by your name. <laughs> that's what that's what I need to send. That's why I need to send little Montero on a mission. I need Montero to tell us everybody out there to dig them all out. Dig them all out. Take them all out. Dig baby. them all out, figuratively uh-huh. and literally. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. 
Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Oh my God, this has been so incredible. You know what we haven't talked about and we need to touch on a second. For those of you, for those of the listeners out there who don't know you, who are probably completely obsessed right now, how did, how did you end up here? Like, how, what made you wake up one day? You rolled out of bed one day and you were like, you know what? I am going to trace my culinary roots back to Africa, all the while teaching Judaism and, <laughs> and dyeing my own tights. Right, right, right. And y'all just going to be here for it and it's going to work. Like, start, take me through that beginning point and how you got here. So I, this has always been me. It's always been me to the point where I remember when my, my grandmother passed away and I was away from school for the longest time. It was like a nine days. It was a big, it was a big event in my family. It was, it was, it was an end of an era. And I remember the, the rumor at, at middle school was that Michael Twitty finally went to Africa. And, and I just thought, you know, the fact that there are people who I know who grew up with me who can say, yeah, he was always that person. Is a fan is is it's really uh, powerful for me because it means I have a destiny. You know, some people they don't know their destiny until it's over, and they look they look back with great regret, saying, "I don't know why I was even here." And then there's people like me for whom, since I was very very little, my my grandmother's sister, my great aunt used to say, "Who's to call me the Obi child?" Obi is by, by the way for those who know, Obeya is a is a form of Vodun, a form of African traditional religion and magic in the Caribbean. And so she used to call me the Obi child, right? And so all these little, these little hints, the universe drops for you. I have one of my, one of my exes, he said one time, you know, boys have really boring clothing. And I agree with him because there's not a lot of options for like articulating I mean, they give you watches, and they give you maybe maybe on a good day a bracelet or a necklace, and you can't do too much of that in Western clothing to sort of adorn yourself and make little curatorial choices. And so I've, you know, always been like, I, an, an admirer of Diane Carroll, and I was like, Diane Carroll had the best legs, and I aspire to that. And so for me, like when I, when my mom, honestly, I'll be very blunt with you. Well, after my mother passed away, I had license to sort of be a different person because you know coming out when i was younger was tough because i feel like in a lot of ways you know you grow up especially in um black and brown culture everything you do reflects on your parents you know if you're if they're still in your life it's like it's like everything I, so i i held back in a lot of parts of who i was and then when i knew that I was fully in control of my sort of like fears of being judged or fears of my mother feeling any sort of embarrassment or shame about who I was. There was certainly a lot of that. I was like, okay, I'm inching towards 40. I think I was 37, 38 years old when I was just like, this has always been my thing. Let me just do my thing with shorts. So now I wear shorts all year round. I buy a big old lot of white 
sheer tights and people go people try to make me wear like the the non-slutty tights and i'm like no sweetie i need to show this leg off and so i will i I refuse to wear the legging type because it's not cute to me i mean i want to test the metal you're not heading over to the Dwayne reed and getting a a a plastic egg of legs no ma'am no ma'am i i mean i am literally i don't know if you saw this now but on my instagram like Somebody was like, you should let Sheertex know because the company does like the really expensive, um, unbreakable tights. And so I was like, oh, hell yeah. So they sent me this big ass box. And I had my, for a little while, my fo- my uh, Instagram followers had like a, a sales code. I was, you know, I was I was a, I was a tights influencer for, the, for you know, for for a minute. And it's funny because, you know, I, I'm, I'm this bearish, big black man and I love to, you know, I feel like I have a limited shelf life on like my, my libidinous marketability, mm-hmm. which is which is a very fancy SAT way of saying, um, um, you know, I, I I can only be that hoe for so long. Yeah, and also just like deny, even though I came out at a very young age in a very public way, that had I had so many costs in my life, which I won't go into. That I um I I, sh- I shrank back. And it was also because we were not given the same visibility. I mean, now it seems like people want more visibility from guys like us. But back then, it was still all about the white boys and what they could do and how they could do it. Um, I mean, like, it's funny because I was even reading like a thing on a thing popped up on Instagram like, oh, look, men are wearing um, tights and stockings and hose these days. And I'm just like, and they were all white and they were all skinny. I'm like, bitch. These black and brown queens like me bit out here from big Always. boys with hair on their face to 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 the to the other queens, the queens that ran with the crown on their face, yeah, to the twinks in the middle. And we've been we've been doing this. We had purses before. We had purses and fans before Harry Styles. Yeah, amen. But you know, until one of them does it, and that's why I think I hammer so hard on just do you and be you, and 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 be it loudly, so they can't deny that we had that role. For me. It's, uh, I love, I, I, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not trying to challenge them beyond where they're comfortable, but I am trying to drag them kicking and screaming into a world where everything that you are can be possible. Amen. Amen. And this is yet another crossroads where we meet in the sense of I've been painting my nails for a very long time. Hello. Right? But now all of a sudden it's popular, right? Right? Because Nick Jonas or, or, Justin Bieber or somebody's painting their nails black or something. And I was like, we've been here. We've been here. We've been doing this. Or this trend of of these queens wearing those uh, unitards. There's like sexy unitards. Everybody's in the <laughs> unitard. And I was like, I was like, oh, you pay, y'all paying $80, upwards of $80 or whatnot for this when I used to go down to the rainbow to get mine? Hello. Come on now. Come you on know? Now. Come on now. But, you know, it's also, it's also I, think, I think it's about the fact that we have had to do that hard work. It's, it, it takes bravery. I mean, people always ask me, well, do people say anything? I say, okay, I can, I can probably count on about five times when somebody says something really unfortunate or unkind to me in public. But for the most part, for, uh, the best feeling, Michael, is when you're in an airport and you see some, like, woofy somebody, and he ain't saying them, he's looking. He's looking hard. I done had him stare back and look and keep looking. I said, mm-hmm. I know exactly what the hell you thinking, and it's not let me go beat him up. 
Yeah. Mm. Well, maybe maybe it's let me go beat him up in a well, different look, they way. Ain't gonna, they ain't going to beat this up. They ain't going to beat this up, baby. I, they might get a beating from me, but they ain't going to beat me. Uh, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. But it's 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 fun. And then the the, the I think the per, the people at the airport I really love to get into if they if they're, if they're pissy with me are the security dudes, right? Because sometimes they try to get cute. You know, you got to take your shoes off. They got to be, they got to know to be like, well, we saw a drop of sweat. Well, you know, you know, Negroes and Puerto Ricans be putting some shea butter on they on they ashy huh? self. So they the, the, the security the security thing picks up the little lotion, little bumps of sweat. I'm cool because guess what? It's your hands that got to be all over this. Mm-hmm. And one time I had this beautiful Italian American young dude from Pittsburgh. He was not looking forward to this, but I sure as hell was. <laughs> I was thanking God for that machine. Yes, I was, honey. I was like, wow, my younger days have returned. Hello, uh, hello. But you know, but another part of it is that I, apart from that, I'm really glad that I have a lot of people um, uh, through social media who have been like men, straight, gay, in between, bi, this, that, you know, pansexual, who are like, oh, because you do that, and you don't have any shame about it, I, I, I have no problem wearing the clothes that I want to wear out. I feel I feel brave about it because you're brave about it. You're inspirational to me, or like people, you know, like other like people of size, like you know, feeling like they can wear and do what they want to do and feel beautiful in themselves, and let people know I still have a sex life. I still I I'm just as attractive to other people as you are attracted to other people, and I have the right to adorn and beautify myself and take pride in who I am. Amen. That to that to me is the best shit. Is the best. Mm-hmm. 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 When, there's, when a, there's a certain comfortability and grounding in yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And 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 when that happens, it's it's almost like you're untouchable. Right, right. It almost. And then you have people who remind you, you know, sometimes people will say stuff and I and it can get a little nerve a little unnerving. Um like the first time I was aware that they had to hire security for an event that I did first of all, having security, having police is really Ugh, that's another kind of conversation. But I remember how what I got a big laugh out of when I went to University of I went, I went to a university in Michigan, and um, this big event like hundreds of people, and I was like, you actually had to hire security. And the per he said, I said, can I see like the letters, the emails that you got that made you do this? He's like, are you sure? And I said yes. And one of them said. Michael Twitty needs to die because he's a sexual deviant. And all I could, I just busted out laughing. And all I could think was, you think more highly of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you make me more, far more interesting. Well, I kind of am, but not, not as deeply as they wanted me to be. Yeah. You know, like you know. The, the picture they painted, like this triptych of like, you know, <laughs> earthly, earthly sinful delights that you're just there. <laughs> You know, like, I want to be that bitch. I want to be that bitch. <laughs> Little do Sign they know. me up. <laughs> you know who is that bitch? I'm that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my yes. God. That may be the title of this episode. I'm that bitch. Oh I'm my God. <laughs> Michael Twitty, this has been so special. And I guess. I guess it was just written in the in the stars, and that it needs to be that. And um, I love that the pup the pup is like, "Amen, 
to that yes. in the, in the background. The, the blind dog is like, amen. Yes. Oh, listen, at the beginning of the podcast, we heard what's up next for you. You have a couple books coming out, um, a couple things, uh, a couple projects in the work that I know about that I don't know if we can talk about, but you know, there's big things happening for Michael Twitty. What Final question before we close out here. You know, you put out such specific information, right? That's fantastic and that's mm-hmm. rich. What is what is your hope for people to do with that information? Um, I really want them to use it as their source code to build their own architecture of where they need where things need to go next. That's why I get so frustrated with people not going to that next level. Like people, for example, to be very specific with the cooking gene, the questions I was asked about what I was experiencing and bringing that book to life and everything were very inane. It was like, well, what surprised you? And I'm just like, no, this is about confirmation. Because one of the things that colonialization and slavery did was it robbed us. And indigenous genocide, it robbed us of, you know, millions of invisible pages of our stories and our history. And so for me, the whole work and the whole act was about, and my whole career is about going back and retrieving what we call in a con philosophy from Ghana, which is one of my major parts of my DNA and heritage, Sankofa, which means to go back to your past, fetch it. So you can go forward into the future with the knowledge and wisdom of your ancestors. And you can be have your eyes open and be aware, right? And I just want people to take that those queer tidbits, those black tidbits, those Jewish tidbits, those global tidbits, all those pieces, and use them to do something new. To do something new. Do something different. To own parts of themselves they have previously denied access to. To take back that power. And they do it un- unapologetically and without having the need to prove anything to anyone. I'm trying to do the work so that you don't have to prove a damn thing. All you have to do is be, knowing that the receipts are there. Knowing that you have the blueprint, you have the source code. And I guess, I guess you, know, you know, my name was associated for a little bit in the mouths of white folks with, um, all due respect, white folks, um, with, you know, beating back appropriation, which, you know, I would I would be fighting appropriation, too, if that's how I made my money. Let's be real. You know, that the, the, the pushback about appropriation wasn't like wasn't it wasn't about being rational. It was about, you know, trying to maintain power by theft. It's still going on. I mean, or it's or, you know, there's side, passive aggressive appropriation, like when people be trying to charge twenty five dollars for a chopped cheese. You know, at a fancy restaurant, knowing, knowing the, where it came from. But for me, I don't want I don't want the kids out here to prove a damn thing. I don't want these elders to prove a damn thing. I want them just to be able to move forward with confidence. One of the greatest ways to heal that sort of negative energy because we could be we are we're we're already here. We're already multicultural, right? We're already all of us, all of us of every background is at the intersection of global cultures constantly crashing into each other. And sometimes it's harmonious, sometimes it's, it's problematic, but it's still going to happen. And what we have to realize is if we are living in a multicultural democracy, we have a responsibility to know each other's cultures, to know each other's boundaries and opportunities, and to respect one another. 
And for those of us who are, who are marginalized, oppressed, who have rich cultures that everybody keeps on trying to bite off of but don't give no respect to, your greatest, the greatest armor that you have is knowledge. The greatest armor that you have is being able to say you have those receipts in that source code because you know what? It, it's, it's not about aping. It's not about copying. It's not about having the recipe. It's not about taking that food and that food culture and doing what you want with it. It's about me telling you, until you have walked in these shoes, until this blood from these, these heroes and heroines runs through your veins, until you are willing to sacrifice and give up some of your, some of your power, to sit here with me, not as a damn ally, but as an accomplice, we ain't got nothing to talk about. So that's what I want people to do with, with these, these lessons and these things that I dig up knowing that I don't have all the answers and never will. I am not the all-knowing, all-wise. I am just as much a traveler and a learner like you are and someone who, you know, learn, knows the value of experience and experiences. And that's where I want people to, I want people to do that for themselves. I want people to be able to take up that mantle on their own and do their own work and, and, and find their own power. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm feeling the same way. Like, I'm, life's calling right now has me as a vessel. You know? Yes. Yes. I'm a vessel, right? Here's mm-hmm. it. Here's this. Here are the facts. Here are these people. Here's what's happening, and you need to know, right? Right. Right. And 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 also, we. Here's the one. Here's one thing I have to have to say. We are both doing something really poetic and really beautiful and really powerful, and that's simply saying I am here, not I was here. Now I will be there. I am here. You know, I'm present. I'm real. You know, you are you are you are um a legend of your own making. You know? Because you're you're saying, no, I'm Latin, I am in this space, I am gay man, we exist. And there's lot there's tons of people like me. And there's ton, there's tons of of TOs out there who have this very similar story to what I have to tell you. And guess what? We're the culture makers, we're the creators in, in all these different kinds of creative arts and forms. And if if you don't speak up and you don't draw attention to that and you don't tell those stories and tell your own story, that's another thing I tell people. Don't ever forget or fail to tell your own story. Start now. Start now. Don't wait till you don't wait. It's like it's not like stupid movies where you like sit back one day and you reflect. You might not even remember everything then. Yeah, um, it's always funny, and I I would be surprised if you haven't had this experience. And we do have to close out. I can't keep you here forever, even though I do want to keep you here forever. It's it's funny when I walk into a space, especially a culinary space, and me being me. You know, I am loud. I present myself in a very specific way, authentically me, you know, you know, living my best life, uh, acting a fool, sometimes doing whatnot. But like even most recently, as of like yesterday, a chef came up and he was like, wait a minute, I heard you do this one thing. And I was like, yeah, I do this thing and it's great. And he was like, what do you mean? I don't understand. Heteronormative, Latino, albeit, right? Hetero chef. Um, And he goes, what do you mean? I don't get it. And I was like, well, let me tell you, right? And it was like this, 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 this. Cliff notes, bullet points here. And he looked at me and he was like, it's that realization of like, oh, this person, I like 
You know, I saw one thing, but obviously this person knows his shit, right? In this specific vein. And I was just, I was just like, I wasn't like putting him in his place. We were obviously having like dialogue and a good discussion, but like in this sense of like, oh, I was prejudged as this one thing. And then here I came in with all this knowledge, right? Because now, now you've opened a door. Now you've opened a door. And I was like, so like, you want in? I said to him, yeah, I was like, you want in? Because my door is open to you. Like, how can I, how can I help? Because although I'm paving a very specific path, you can, there's room, but you need to know. You're universal too. Yeah. I'm universal too. We, we are just as much are part of the stream as everybody else and can accommodate everybody's story. Yeah. Like, come, come on in. You need, what were you looking for? Oh, well. Bring it. Bring it. Let's go. Let's go. We're. I'm here for the party. So like, you ready? You ready to come on? Let's go. If if not, get off the dance floor, please. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> ah, confessions of a damn dance floor. That's how we're going to end this. That's it. That's it. Oh my God, Michael. Thank you so, so much. My heart and my spirit are filled. I can't thank you enough for giving me of your time today. No worries. This is special. I can't wait till we meet in person. I'm going to have to come down and visit you next time. Yes, honey, in my little my little farm in Virginia. This uh, listen, I'm not you put me to work. <laughs> 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 I got some overall like some pink overall poom pooms. I saw. That's I'm 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 jealous. Okay. So I got those. Oh my god, once again, big shout out to Michael Twitty. Michael Twitty. Oh my god, give everybody, give the audience, give everybody all the listeners, all the handles, all the websites, all the things. Absolutely. On Twitter, I am at Kosher Soul, K-O-S-H-E-R-S-O-U-L. On Instagram, I am The Cooking Gene, just like the book, The Cooking Gene. On Facebook, I'm Michael W. Twitty. Um, and, of course, our blog is afroculinaria.com. It's more like my website now than a blog. We'll get back into that later. But um, definitely find me there. And please, please support The Cooking Gene um, through Amistad, through HarperCollins. Please buy the book. Um, we authors like to tell people that, you know, buy it retail, buy it from an independent bookseller if you can. If not, go to the next level. Uh, you know, that helps us do the work. I take chefs to West Africa. Um, I did it last year. Hopefully we'll do it again in 2022. Um, but that helps me pay to help pay other chefs way to go to the continent to get that experience. So please support that work. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Of course. Of course. I am. I am your biggest stan, um, sister in sister through the ancestors, and then some, and then some. And you know what out there, obviously, if you haven't fallen in love with Michael by this time, um, you, I mean, I don't know how you could not go out and buy one. And then, you know what, buy one to give too. like, that's, I do that all the time. You know, like I, I bought Chef Kwame and Wache's book. I actually bought two. I bought one for myself and one <laughs> to give, you know. And so that's that's how that rolls. And I mean, this has been a fabulous. Well, now it's got to be a two part episode because we we did the thing. <laughs> we did that. We did that. Yes. <laughs> and it felt like nothing. Yeah. Any of us listeners, I have nothing more to say except for big shout out to Michael Twitty. Go show him all the love and as always thank you for listening to in yo mouth